He has the kids this morning doing something, the very same thing. They're going to put it out in the foyer in a few minutes. And it's posters about what, is you, what do you like about your mom and a series of those same questions that your kids are going to be filling out. And so there will be a display in the foyer somewhere out in this area that you want to check afterwards. I'm going to invite you to go to a passage with me for our Mother's Day message that some of you are going to cringe when I say join me in Proverbs 31. But I want to do it a little bit different. Speaking about Mother's Day, let me just uh, take you back into history a little bit. The a gal by the name of Anna Jarvis was the one who influenced President Woodrow Wilson to finally declare it a national holiday, and it was done in 1914. She did it because she wanted to have a time to reflect on her mother as well as her children to reflect on her and spend more family time. In a few years, the idea caught on, and it became very, very popular, flowers, cards, things like that. Jarvis, who had been, been the promoter of the idea, she became very angry, very upset by the commercialization of Mother's Day, she was especially offended by the one part of the industry, and that's the card industry. That what they did with the cards is they made these cards and they promoted the cards, and in fact, she wrote this later. She says they're a poor excuse for the letter you're supposed to write yourself that you're too lazy to write. I bet you she'd be really offended by this one card. Somebody shared this with me. It's three ladies talking about their boys. They're bragging on their three boys, and the first one says, you should have seen my son did for me on Mother's Day. He threw a big party at a fancy restaurant, even hired a band to come and play for me. The second one says, that's nothing. My son paid, gave me an all-expense-paid cruise to the Greek islands. The third lady, wanting to beat them, she said, that's nothing for the last three years. My son has been paying a fancy psychiatrist thousands of dollars so he can meet with him two times a week, and the whole time they're together, they talk nothing else but about me. I'm the topic. I don't think the woman understands what that is all about. Despite the fact that Jarvis was upset about the cards, they are a nice thing, and they're a good thing. And I understand some people don't understand the cards like Mrs. Jarvis. It's the same thing that happens in Proverbs 31. There are some people that don't appreciate the passage that is written about moms, about the wife in Proverbs 31. And so what we want to do is we want to look at it a little bit this morning, but look at it from a totally different angle and to just explore the passage. Now, some of you already know what it's about. Some of you don't. So I'm going to invite you to go to Proverbs 31 with me. We're headed to chapter 31. And, and by the way, make sure you get the right book. Our secretary here at church told me that she had a minor guffaw. You know how we do, uh, we do the, uh, the different inserts in the bulletin for the memory verses? So she typed in 3110. And the passage from Proverbs is this, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. But Val said, I typed in 3110. I'm thinking about Mother's Day and this is the passage I got. For my life is spent with grief, my years with sighing, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity, my bones are consumed. Now maybe that's the way some of your moms really feel, but that's not Proverbs 31, that's Psalm 31. So if you're in the wrong text, we're in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. This passage is a passage passage that many of you have heard, you've seen, you see it on Christian greeting cards, things of that sort. Let me read the majority of the text that, that ties to Mother's Day, and then I want to take a different advantage point of it. It starts in verse 10, is where she talks about a lot about the woman. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool, flax, works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And
And the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength, strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goes not out by night. I guess not. She has no time with all that busyness. She lays her hand to the spindle and her hands to the distaff and she stretches out her hands to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household for all her household are already clothed with scarlet. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. What an amazing woman. Man, do you know anybody like that? You know, that can do all these things. That's the way it's normally approached. But he goes on. And he says, Her husband is known in the gates. He sits among the elders of the land. He makes fine linen and sells it and delivers the girdles to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. In her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household. Eats not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up. Call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excellest them all. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. What an amazing passage. What a phenomenal description of a lady and what an outstanding woman. When you read this and go, wow, I don't know if I could live up to that. Let me put it in perspective. Let me help you as you approach this text and you study it not to feel bad about you compared to this gal and to, say, to just understand where it's all coming from. As you look at this passage, keep some things in mind. Number one, I want you to catch this, okay? I want you to catch, and I'm getting my, my stuff right, right here. It is not written by a man. This is written by a woman. Okay, for some of you who respond to the passage and say, that's that male chauvinistic idea about what the wife was supposed to be like, this text is not written by a man. If you look at the beginning of the passage, it says the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So in the context, and I understand this, I know some, some are split on this view, I think this is an entirety of the chapter is coming from King Lemuel's mom talking to him. Okay, so it's not this idea of a put-down of ladies. Rather, this is a woman elevating other ladies. I want you to catch something else. This is written by a queen mother. She is talking to her son not as a politician first, not telling him what is the political correct thing to do and what's supposed to be done and, and all these things from a political point of view. She is talking from a believer's point of view. She, look at verse 1. When she is talking in this passage, she is first and foremost concerned about her son's spiritual welfare. When she says the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, why my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows, she is very concerned about his walk with the Lord. She had dedicated him to the Lord when he was young. In fact, she calls him uh, that phrase, and I will catch you again, the Lemuel, she calls him that name, which means means belonging to the Lord. Apparently this woman when she was wanting to have the child or when she found out she was expecting the child she dedicated him to the Lord. And so she had given him to the Lord. She is very concerned about his ongoing walk with the Lord. And so this is coming from a point of view a mom advising a son uh, so as to help him in his spiritual walk with the Lord. That gives us another thought here. This woman who is writing this is not a theorist. 
She's a realist. She isn't coming from the perspective that she is saying, okay, this is, this is the ideal situation. She is actually coming from her vantage point, from her point of view, from her experiences. She deals with the realities of her son. We're going to catch up with that in just a minute in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. She is going to talk to her son about the realities of being a king, the highs and the lows of it. Then when she talks about this passage and deals more about the idea of what kind of wife you should be looking for, her comments in this text are very realistic. She's talking about this virtuous woman. Now you read it and you might say, well how does this woman do all these things? How does she take care of her kids? Do the sewing? How does she do the business? Understand she is coming from her vantage point where she has slaves and servants. This is a queen mother. She's talking about what life is like in the palace household. She has to organize. She has to oversee these things. It isn't reading to say that she herself is actually doing all these tasks, but she as the queen mother has had the experience of saying this is what life is like. Her life is busy. Your life is busy. But the amount of things she can address are going to be more than most of you could address because she has other workers and other people helping in her household. And so she's coming from a very realistic point of view. She's going to say to her son who she wants to see succeed, she says, you could fail. And she tells him how he could possibly fail. And she warns him about those things as she goes through the text. And I remind you, this is a mom to a son. She is speaking from her heart. She is giving motherly advice. She is very moved in this text. Three times in the first verse, she is saying, my son, my son, what about these things? She is, she is moved to the point that she is saying, I really want your attention. I'm really concerned about you. And as the typical mom talking to a son, she is talking to him and she is writing to him to help him to become successful in his life. She is giving him practical advice where he is at that would help him. She's going to talk about his kingdom and how to be a king, his job. She's going to talk to him about how to succeed in your family life, how to be happy in your home, which he needs that advice. This man in particular needs some advice of how to find what kind of wife he should be looking for. And so she's very, very pointed in it, and she's going to give some very, very pointed advice. Let me point out what she says. The mom talking to her son, she's going to start off talking about if you're going to be successful, even though you're this king and you're an authority, the first thing you have to keep in mind, you need to be a moral man. You need to be an individual, basically, that you have control of your desires and of your senses. Watch how she does that. She starts off the chapter saying, My son, my son, you know, son of my womb, son of my vows, give not your strength unto woman, any woman, nor thy ways to those who destroy your kingdom. Don't be caught up. Now remember, he's a king. He's going to see ladies sometimes coming into his court who are going to be all dolled up, all gussied up, if you would. Okay? And they're going to be very attractive. And being, in the, being a king and being in that position, he's going to have some people throw themselves at him. And so she is saying, do not get caught up with this. Do not get caught up with somebody who is just appearance only, who could hurt you, who could destroy your home, who could destroy your kingdom, who could destroy you. And she's giving him very practical advice. She goes on beyond the idea of you as the king, you've got to keep self-control. You can't let your lust, your desires take over. Don't let your hormones be running rampant in your life. She goes on, she talks about another area of his life, not just the woman, but she talks about the wine. 
Because the king could be one who would be party-hardy all the time. And he writes, and she writes to him and says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink the wine, nor for princes the strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Go down to verse, verse 8. She continues, says, Instead, open your mouth for the dumb in the case of all those such as are appointed to destruction. Open your mouth, judge righteously, plead the cause of the poor and the needy. She is saying to him, you've got to keep self-control. You don't get caught up with this high lifestyle, with this you know, late night stuff where you're, where you're just all about satisfying your flesh, your desires, and the wine, woman, and song. You've got other responsibilities. You make sure you keep control of your desires and your senses. Son, you're the king, but you're in a very vulnerable spot. She also uh, talks about the, to their son. She talks about, you know, you've got to be very careful as the king that you don't take advantage of people. You're in a public position. You've got authority. You've got power. And you don't abuse that power. These people are coming to you as a king to make a ruling. Again, you and I understand this from a different vein point. We don't have the judges. They didn't have the judges the way we do. They don't have the courts the way do, that we do. They would go to the king and the king would judge a lot of times. And kings could be persuaded by such things as bribery. She's going to be warning him, you protect the poor. You make sure that you are watching for those. You make sure that you uphold justice and righteous determinations. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk where all of a sudden you're, you're being per, your justice is being perverted. Don't get caught up with your buddies with the other princes, the second time she used kings, it's princes. And don't get caught up with them that you're showing them favoritism because they're your drinking buddies. Come on, son. You do your job right. You've been put in this spot by God Almighty. You be a moral man and you make sure that what you understand is that you as the king, you're supposed to be other-centered, not self-centered. And that's that whole idea again in this text of that you're protecting the poor. You're not indulging in wines. Instead of you heaping the wines to yourself, do you notice how she says? There are some people who need the wines. There are some individuals who could use it, not you. She's talking about give that strong drink to those that are ready to perish. Use it as a narcotic to those who are in pain and in agony. Instead of you looking out for yourself, you minister to the people. You meet the people's needs. You stand up for the poor folk. You stand up for... Those who, who don't have a voice, you become their voice. Very practical advice about how to be successful in his job and in his, in his position as the king, as God's appointed king. And so let me just add to that this statement. You need to be a people's prince. Can I rephrase that in another way? Okay, instead of I've already mentioned about the pleasures and the people's needs, I think I could state it this way. You are to be knowing that your position is one to minister, not to be ministered unto. You and I have the classic illustration of that. We have the Lord Jesus Christ that came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And so what he is challenging, or what she is challenging her son, is even before Jesus came, you have this mindset that you in your position, you with your wealth, you with your possession, it's not about you 
uh, celebrating and making everything about you getting bigger and better. It is about you making contributions to your community and to those who are relying upon you. So be a people's prince. It's a, it's a thought that in history I think it, other nations knew that this was dangerous. Do you remember in the Roman society that the generals would come parading through oftentimes and they would have these parades of triumph that would come through Rome. And it was a very traditional thing that because people would get caught up with their successes and their positions that people would get big headed. I'm sure you've never seen this happen <laughs> with somebody who gets a promotion or gets a position at work and all of a sudden they become a, a little dictator at the plant. Okay, That could happen very easily in this environment and so what they would do is you can see down in this bottom corner where he's coming in with his four white horses and he's on his chariot and he's got his hand lifted and there is somebody behind him. Okay, I'm going to try to blow it up, but then I look and say, ah, the image didn't get good. So I'm going to get you a different picture here that will be more of what we want. Right there, that guy behind him would stand there on the chariot as they would come through and he would hold a laurel wreath over and he would constantly whisper into the, into the ear of the celebrity, the one who's, who's being honored this day and being promoted and the crowds were cheering and the words were very simple. It was, Sith, remember you are but a man. Remember you are but a man. She is saying this to her son in a different way. Here she is writing a Jewish queen mother saying to her son, the king, that you are but a person. You are in a position. Even though you're the king and in our government, you are the highest. You are, you are the one who could take life and death. You could take somebody else's property. She says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be consumed. You become a moral man. You become a people's prince. You become an individual that you need to make sure that as king, like anybody else, you need to marry wisely. You need to wed the right type of person, the right type of woman who will help you in your ministry that God has given you, but and rather than one who could destroy you. She's already warned about that. Verse 3, we already alluded to it. There are people out there who could destroy their husband, who could destroy his position that the Lord gives, who could destroy the family unit. We know that. We read in Proverbs, already previous, there's been warnings about the type of cantankerous woman who that she would cause everybody to run to the housetop that they would just as soon get away from. There's multiple warnings about this type of woman through the book of Proverbs. Then she goes into that section of this chapter and describes what we already read, that virtuous woman. That woman of outstanding character and characteristics. And Baum is saying, you need to look for this type of person. This is the type of gal that you focus on because your private life will affect your public achievements. She is making it very clear. Even though you are a king and you think by position you are above others, your private life is going to affect your public achievements. And a lot of that influence comes from your wife. Now we've already talked about Proverbs 31. We've already read it. And we've already pointed out. Now let me give you a little bit of Hebrew understanding. When you read verses 10 through the end of the chapter, understand that this is an acrostic. It is a form of poetry. Each one of the verses begins with another letter, the subsequent letter, the A, B, C, D, E, F, G of the Hebrew alphabet. It is a song and it is poetry. So as I like a typical song and poetry, it is filled with superlatives. It is filled with phrases that are just, well, let me take you back to just to some situations that you may have been in. Just recently we were at one of our funerals of one of our members and the children did a tribute. And they did an acrostic talking about the different traits that stand out in memory about their dad. And they used the acrostic F-A-T-H-E-R. And they talked about his different characteristics 
character traits. Does that mean that, that, is, that, that he was 100% all the time this way? Well, his character is such that he was an outstanding gentleman. But these, these were the things that they, they talked about the most. They stood out. And they did it in a way of, of honoring him and very respectful and using superlatives. This woman is doing the same thing here. She isn't being, being unrealistic. She's just saying, now these are the main qualities. These are the chief things. And I'm going to give you characteristic traits and she's going to put it in a poetic song-like fashion. And so don't let it beat you down, ladies, when you read this and say, this is, this is a form of poetry. What he is emphasizing here is just these characteristics overall. Just that somebody who has personal character, who's charitable, somebody who is caring, somebody who's careful about things, somebody who is competent, controlled, and who can contribute to the family. That which is the majority of you fulfill this already by looking and saying, okay, let's make it simpler. Let's not talk about sewing the tapestry on the curtains on the wall and all those other things. But these are the traits. Just summarized down. That's what she's getting at with a song with poetry. What is interesting is the fellow she is talking to is a guy who really loved poetry. We don't know much about Lemuel when we hear the name, but we know when we find out who it is. He was into poetry. He was into song. And so this mom is writing to a that the son would relate after she warns him about some of the real dangers. She puts it in poetic fashion that he would swallow her advice, take her advice, and learn from it. And so when we look at it, we want to just make this other comment. It was written by a person who knew what they were talking about. Mom is coming from personal experiencing experiences and she is giving these warnings. It makes even more sense when you understand who the mom is and why she is saying what she is. I don't know if, if all of us in this room know, I, and I understand there is some debate, but as I understand and look at who Lemuel is and then who his mother is, boy, does this passage take on a whole different meaning. It is coming from a woman who knows what it's like to see abuses take place in the home. The woman's name is Bathsheba. Her son's name is King Solomon. It is one of his nicknames, Lemuel. He was the person who wrote a lot of the Proverbs. He was a poet. And she is coming from a life experience that if some of you do not know the story, most of you do. Let me just back up. Bathsheba, when we bring up her name, we know, mostly think about one account. That's found in Samuel's writings about David when David is first coming to the throne. And David one night when the kings are off to war, he comes up and looks over the balcony and he sees a woman in one of the tiered roofs down into the valley. He sees a woman who is bathing on top of her roof. That was, a, that was customary. Usually the, the bath places were on top. And so he's there looking down and he is attracted to her. And most of you know the story. He invites her to come up to the palace, finds out she's a married woman, but they have an affair. She becomes pregnant. They have to cover up their adultery, and so he calls her husband back from the battlefield. The husband comes back. He says to the husband, you've got days off. Go home, spend time with your wife, with the hope that he goes home, spends time with the wife, and they can cover up the affair. The husband won't go home. So David wants him to get home. What does David do? He throws a party for the husband, and he tries to get him drunk so that the husband will then go home because he will lost control of his senses the husband doesn't go home 
David wants to cover up the sin, so what he does is he sends the, the man back to the battlefield with a note to the, superior, to the superior officer saying, put this man at the very front of the next battle. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to cover up some. We've got we to make, make sure nobody knows that he can testify that he did not spend time with his wife, that this is not his child. So they do, the general does exactly what David said. He puts the man right out in front. The man has killed in battle, and David believes he's covered up his adulterous affair. And so then after a period of time, he takes the woman and brings him into his household, and everything is peachy keen after that. No. David goes through a series of guilt. Psalm 51 is all about it. She obviously goes through a series of guilt. They experience the chastening hand of the God, of the Lord God, who is offended by their sin because David has abused his power as the king. Because David has lost control of his senses and his desires. So this woman, knowing what her husband, David uh, marries her, she becomes the queen mother, she knows exactly what a self-indulgent life can do. She is writing warning her son because his father and she, they had gotten involved in some of these very things. She has a tainted past and she doesn't want her son to repeat it. And she is saying to him, you need to be a person to be self-controlled. You as a king do not take advantage of people the way your dad did at that time when he and I got into this sin. It led to an abuse of power, not an advocating for the people. She is writing to him and she is saying, I know what pain comes from living that type of lifestyle. I've been there. I've done that. And she knows what it's like to lose a child because of an adulterous situation. God did take that first child. She knows what it's like to see the rest of the family put in disarray because of what she had been involved in. She knows what it's like that when the prophet came and said, David, you have done wrong and you're going to pay fourfold. She realizes, she knows, she was in the household when she saw what happened to the other children in the household, some of them, including Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom. All as a direct effect of the decision she and David had made. And she is writing now, not, not from a pearly past, but from an impure past. And she is saying to her child, you need to be one of moral character. You need to be a people's prince. You need to be a person who has self-control. Boy, does that change the text. That this woman is writing to her son and saying, this is the type of gal that you should be attracted to. You marry wisely. You be very careful. She knows what she is talking about. She's writing this from an idea of concern. And there are so many lessons we could draw from this text and just pull it together. May I just list a few of them? Putting that story in place and saying, okay, what do we draw from it? Can I show you some of the beauty that comes out of the text? Out of a story that that in its history doesn't look beautiful, but show you something that is positive out of that account and this writing of it. This is for ladies and for everyone in the auditorium who's listening. Boy, I'm making personal application, especially for the ladies, to just provide from this passage some encouragement. No matter what your past, ladies, no matter what you've done in the past, you can be used by God today. Bathsheba is a woman speaking up from this passage that is saying, I had some things in my past that were not lovely, that I am not proud of, but that doesn't stop me from being used of God now. God, in His grace and in His forgiveness, is able to take anyone with a tainted past and make them a triumphant saint. God is able to take the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and say to her, Go and 
sin no more, and use her for the ages as a testimony of grace. God is able to take a Mary Magdalene who had a, who had a very questionable lifestyle. She comes to Christ in faith, finds forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is able to use her as one of those who are close and a part of his inner group of friends and be a testimony for ages after about ladies serving. God can take even a Rahab and use a Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God can take any individual with any type of background and use them. Not just ladies, but men. Not just men and ladies, but teens. God can forgive us of our sins, and he is willing to forgive us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's grace. This chapter is a chapter of grace, of God's goodness and kindness in forgiving a lady who had a very tainted background and let her be an influence for the glory of Jesus Christ. You can be that type of person too. You can be an individual that no matter what your past, if you come to Jesus Christ, he can forgive you, he can cleanse you, and he can make something triumphant out of your life. That's the God that we worship this day who by faith you can see drastic changes in your life. Can I make another observation here about the ladies in this text? It is this. God is saying you have the ability to make a big difference. Ladies, you have the ability to make a big difference in and out of your home for good and for God. She is talking to her son and she is trying to help him and be a big influence in his life for good, for God, in his home and in his politics. And she is giving him wise advice, saying to her son that when it becomes, when you stand in your political realm, the first thing you need to worry about is not what is politically correct, but what is morally correct. The first thing you need to worry about is not how you profit yourselves, but how you protect the people. So she is coming from this point of trying to be influential to her husband in his, in his job, in his influence. And she writes and she says, by the way, other ladies could influence you as well. Ladies have a tremendous impact. They can destroy your kingdom, Solomon, or they can build your kingdom. And she goes on, describes this virtuous woman, this woman with song that she is giving superlatives about this gal. And the bottom line is what she is saying is this person influences the business in the community. This person can influence the people in the community. This person with her charity can influence the poor, the poor and become a voice for the poor. This woman, as we read about her, she is an individual who can have great influence, not only in the business world, not only in the world where the charity is needed, but in her household, with her husband. She is going to influence whether he can stand in the gates as a civic leader and making judgment in this woman can make him to be one, help him to be one who keeps the ethics right, who keeps the morality right. The bottom line she's writing and saying, you have to find a woman because ladies have tremendous influence in life around us. We all know that. We understand that. We understand the Word of God is even saying this. It is not diminishing the value of the lady, but it is elevating the value and the influence of the female gender and saying they play such an important part in our society, in our homes, in our ministries that God gives us. And so Bathsheba is speaking as a woman from that generation where you would think that these ladies were looked at as subservient. She is saying that is not true. We are women, hear us roar. She's the first one. She could have coined all that. 
And she is saying ladies can make a big difference for good in God. By the way, the flip side of that is this. Ladies can make a big difference by promoting that which is not godly and that which is not good. So there's tremendous responsibility. So we hear from Bathsheba, her impact upon community, upon career, upon her own children, and she's making it very clear. Let me give you another thought. Ladies, you can be used to impact many for good in God as a teacher and advisor. Let me make, I want to make this more pointed. Hear Bathsheba from her point of view, from where she is coming. Bathsheba is an illustration of how somebody can influence children of all ages. Her son is an adult. He is already king. She is trying to influence and and make impact, and she is going to have some of that. But let's take it a little bit further. As a counselor, as as a guide, don't you see that this text points to us that a lady can have tremendous influence through children of all ages. I'm not talking ages physically. I'm talking ages of history. How many people have read Proverbs 31? How many sermons have been preached out of this text? How many ladies have been challenged, men have been encouraged out of this text to be wise in the decisions, to look and become this type of a person, to look for this type of person. How many children have been influenced by the text of this passage to promote and encourage and praise their moms because of what God says through Bathsheba? It amazes me that this one woman making herself available to the Lord God, becoming an advisor to her adult son, has spoken to many of us through generations ever since. God can use you that same way. If God tarries, if the Lord Jesus tarries, you can make impact for generation after generation after generation, even in a practical sense. Think about how you could be used in writing and putting down some good counsel, some good conversation to your grandkids, to your children as they're adults, how you could influence them when they are in the pivotal points of their career and you just remind them about the moral ethics of God's word, about serving other people, about being other people centered, how your influence can last for generation after generation by being a practical guide, counselor, teacher, advisor. That's a unique role that you ladies have in your households. And here Bathsheba is. She is speaking to a son and what amazes me, what amazes me is she is not overcome by her past guilt that she remains silent. She can look back and she can say, yes, I blew it, but by the grace of God, I am where I am today. And God can still use me and she's a voice, a mouthpiece used by the Lord God even though she had a past that would be one that she would just as soon hide. It's out there in public. It's in writing. It was put out by God and God is showing us how he can take somebody through grace and he can multiply their abilities, their talents and their impact for generations after generations if they will become a voice piece, a mouthpiece for the Lord God and for what is right. Ladies, you could win dozens and hundreds for the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak up. Speak up. Write up. Give the good counsel. In fact, let's take it this to this thought. It is important that when you give counsel and when you give advice, you focus on the most important truth that your family could ever hear. She writes to her son, and she doesn't talk about how he should have political alliances. She doesn't tell him what to do with the Democrats or the Republicans. 
She doesn't deal with how you need to do this, that, or the other thing and bribing and stuff like that. She doesn't get there. She doesn't go there at all. She doesn't talk about his savings plan, his inflation plan, his works plan. She doesn't deal with any of that. She deals with that which is most important. She deals with that area of his life that is the most critical. It is not his politics. It is very simply he's got to serve God. You've got to serve God, son. You have got to have the ethics that God requires of the king. You've been put in a kingly spot. You as the king need to be subservient to God, to follow his standard, his rules, his moral code. You've got to be an individual who knows your place before God Almighty. He's given you a job, and you've got to work that job the way that God has told you to work that job. God had warned time and time again. You read it through in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, that it is a warning to the kings that what the kings need to do is that they need to be moral. They need to be looking out for the welfare of the people. God warned them when you get kings, when they were coming and begging for it in Samuel's writings, he says you're going to have kings that are going to pervert justice. You're going to have kings that are going to become self-seekers. And he warns them. She is reminding him that this is what God warned. This is, going to be, this is not what you want to do. You be a moral man. You be one that does right. You be one that is serving others. You be an individual who is very careful in your private life and your private decisions because they affect your public decisions. So she is really, really focusing on the important things. Serving God with his righteousness. Serving God with the job that you have done. Serving God by making sure that what you do is you create a godly environment. A home where God is magnified, God is served, God is honored. And she's telling this woman, Woman to woman, this is the advice you give. This is the advice. You, you, you need to focus on these things. Encourage your husband to focus on these things. Encourage your kids to focus on these things. This is what I'm doing as a mom. She says, as a mom, my greatest concern is that I have from the very beginning, I have prayed for the son of my vows I have made him a Lemuel, a belonging to the Lord. I wonder if she didn't focus that vow because she had lost her firstborn. And she went through that pain and she says, God, if you give me this son and this son survives, God, I will dedicate him to you. And she prays and she's dedicated. Now she is, decades later, that same thought, I want my son to serve God. I want my children to serve God. I want God to be honored most most above everything else. It's not about our pleasure. It's not about our vacations. It's not about our house. It's not about those things. We need to serve God. We need to serve God. And as a result, she speaks this chapter, and it is just absolutely amazing how it can impact our lives if we look at it from the right perspective. And he ends up, she ends up talking and saying and putting in the phrase that some of you have used. The phrase that we have used, the phrase I know I used when I walked my two daughters down the aisle and whispered in their ears, many have done noble things, but you excel them all. Those types of comments that many of you ladies in this room deserve to hear because you, like Bathsheba, have experienced the grace of God. Like Bathsheba, you have been used already to do great things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Bathsheba, you can continue to give that counsel, that advice. Like Bathsheba's warnings, focus on the right things. And watch how God will use you in the days ahead. That he will bless, he will prosper you in your life, you in your household. And your family should rise up and call you blessed because you deserve it. 
as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, I hope that you have a wonderful, fabulous, awesome Mother's Day and that the Lord will continue to bless and use you.